Good morning. My name is Brad. If you're new or visiting with us, I want to welcome you here. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And this summer, we have been making our way through the fourth book in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. And then the story of Numbers links right into the story of Joshua. And so today, we're going to dig into our second last story in the book of Joshua. And this is a story where everything is not as it seems, which is the title of that song there. And there's, in this story, there's all the makings of great, like, summer blockbuster stuff. There's deception, there's gullibility, there's integrity that's lost and regained, and there's an epic battle, which we'll get to next weekend. But everything is not as it seems in this text. And so you have to pay very careful attention to what's actually happening, uh, what's going on, lest you get confused. So lest you get confused, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to tell you right at the start what the point of the text this morning is, and then we'll dive in. So the point of what we're going to talk about this morning is when you are unclear on what to do, God wants you to ask him for direction. When you and I are unsure in which way to turn in our lives, all of heaven is eagerly waiting and hoping and anticipating that you and I will turn our ears to what the Holy Spirit is saying and we will listen up. So I'm going to pray for us as we begin, that that process would begin and continue in each of our lives this morning. Holy Spirit, we come to you and we ask that you would speak to each one of us. We want our ears to be open and ready to hear from you. We want our eyes to see you, God, at work in our lives. We want you to show us things about our own lives that we need to tune up in some way where we're not maybe listening carefully to you and some of the consequences of that. And so, Father, now in, in this place, in these moments, we set ourselves aside from all of the cares and concerns and busyness and challenges of our lives, and we ask that in the midst of all of those things, that you would speak to each and every one of us, Father. We want to listen to you. We want to hear from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our uh, summer series has been uh, entitled Crossing Over. Life on the Edge of Faith. And I think this is a perfect description of what's going on in the life and reality of the people in ancient Israel as their story plays out in the Bible. But it's also a pretty good description of, if we're honest, what is also true of your life and mine. We waffle. Sometimes we display great acts of faith and courage and we say, yes, God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow you. And other times we just doubt that he exists or we wrestle with elements of doubt and unbelief in our, li- in our lives. And so many of us, we live right close to the juncture of faith and unbelief. And so in our story today, that we're going to see that this is true, not only of the people of Israel, because a lot of times we read through the book of Numbers and Joshua and we say, those people, they just can't get it together. But actually we'll see today that it's also true of the leaders 
and can be true of each one of us as well. So let me remind you of where we've been together over the course of the summer in our journey together. We walked with the people of Israel out of Egypt. And when the people of Israel left Egypt, they wandered through the desert for more than 40 years because of their unbelief. And God was teaching them things about their own hearts and about who he was. And then they were poised at the edge of the land that God had promised to them, and they were ready to go in. And they start out fantastic with the uh, battle at Jericho. And they're obedient to what God says. They march around the city for seven days. And on the last day, they shout, and miraculously, the wall falls down, and they go in, and they're able to take the city of Jericho. So it's a great uh, both military and spiritual victory. And then it's followed very quickly by the text that Mike looked at last weekend in the Battle of Ai, where it's not such a great result for them. Smaller city than Jericho, but they actually lose horrifically and are defeated because of the hidden sins and disobedience of one man. Does anybody remember his name from last year, from last weekend? What was it? Achan, that's right. And Achan was disobedient. And so we pick up our story uh, in the book of Joshua in chapter 9 in verse 1. After the Israelites were defeated at Ai and then they figured out what was going on and then they actually won. So in Joshua chapter 9 verse 1, it says, All the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. So both at Jericho and also at Ai. And these were the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And they all lived in the hill country in the western foothills and all the way along to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and as far north as the Lebanon Mountains, so a pretty big area. And the kings decided to combine their armies to fight as one army against Joshua and the Israelites. So pretty good idea. So there's this huge army that's getting together to fight against Joshua and Israel. And we'll get to this next weekend. And these kings of all of these cities and regions, they've all heard about what God has done at Jericho. They've heard about what God has done in the children of Israel in Egypt. And so they're really scared. They've heard about God dividing the Red Sea and them walking through on dry ground. And they've heard about what God did to the Jordan River, how he parted it, and how they walked through. And so they're right freaked out about this whole prospect of Joshua and them coming in. But then they hear another story. They hear that this little city at Ai actually beat Joshua and his army. And so they take a little bit of courage and they say to themselves, aha, they're not invincible after all. Maybe if we get all of us together and we attack them, then maybe we can defeat them all together as one group. So they start sending out all their little plans and make it, and everybody's getting together on this. But there's one group of people, one small little cluster of four very small cities, and they decide on a different tactic. They resort to a ruse, to deception, to save themselves. So let's keep reading in Joshua 9, chapter 9, verse 3. When the people of Gibeon heard about what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, so they heard the same stories. They resorted to deception to save themselves. So they sent ambassadors to Joshua, and they loaded their donkeys with all kinds of weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins, and they put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. 
And when they arrived at the camp of Israel in Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. Now, the Israelites are not necessarily uh, taken in by this immediately. So they're suspicious, right? Because they know that not everything is always as it seems. The people of Israel have been explicitly told by God, do not make any treaties of peace with people in the land. God told them this in Exodus 34. He told them it again in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And God tells them, he says, listen, I don't want you doing this because these people worship other gods. Their hearts are committed to other things, other priorities, and other, they organize their lives around different principles and meaning. And God knows and tells his people, listen, if you let these people stay in the land, you're going to, if you get um, married to some of these people, and you live close to them, and they co-mingle with you, they will draw your hearts away from me. And sure enough, we actually see over time in the rest of the Old Testament that this plays itself out, and this actually happens. Because inevitably, almost inevitably, faith begins to erode when people closest to you don't share it. And sometimes when that happens, we can grow confused and unclear as to what's right and wrong, and we start to make uh, fuzzy decisions. But intriguingly, God knew this was going to happen, and he gave his people another command, and he said, listen, when you go into the land, if you have any questions about anything, you just need to ask me, and I will tell you. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 21, God specifically says, if you need to ask for help from me, when direction is needed, you go ask the priest. And the priest and you will consult together, and I will tell you what's going on. It's an open and clear invitation. God says to his people, I want to be asked if you have any questions about any of this stuff. But even though the leaders of the people of Israel are suspicious about the Gibeonites, they make a massive and critical error. And the whole chapter is summed up in one sentence. They failed to consult the Lord, it says. So the scene in the early parts of Joshua 9 here is told uh, through the eyes and the perspective of the people of Gibeon. So these parched, dry, dusty travelers, they spill into the camp and they say, oh, water, I need some water. Oh, I'm just so thirsty. Oh, and they say their mission. Oh, <clears throat> oh, thank you for that water. Your servants have come from a really, uh, a distant, distant country. We have heard, they know they have to butter Joshua up a little bit. So they say, oh, yes, we have heard of the might of the Lord your God. We've heard of all he did in Egypt. We've heard about what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the river. So when we heard all these things, all our elders and people instructed us. They said, take supplies for this long journey. You need to go and meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. I mean, look at our bread. This bread, it was hot from the ovens when we left home. But now, as you can see, it's dry and moldy. Now, that should have been a clue. Like, this was, if it was this long of a journey, would they have kept moldy bread the whole time? Don't you think they would have resupplied at some point and gotten some fresh bread along the journey? 
And they say, oh, these wineskins, they were new when we filled them, but now they're all worn out and they're all split open. We've just come from such a distance. And our clothing and our sandals, they're worn out from our very long journey. Turns out they live less than three days' journey away, only about seven miles away. Everything is not as it seems. But here's where the leaders of Israel go wrong. They see the sandals, they look at the bread, and they come to their own conclusions. They fail, verse 14 says, to consult the Lord. Which brings us to the biggest mistake that they made. They failed to consult the Lord. Brings us to this morning's installment of everyone's favorite game show. Which one is older? So I'm going to need a couple of contestants. All right? And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to highlight a couple of people. Okay, I need uh, the two go boys to come on up here. You will be exhibit A for me. All right? Because... Uh, you guys have to know that, you know, a lot of times, and I confess that, you know, when I first got to know your family, that, that this was confusing for me too. But um, people get you guys confused sometimes. You would, I bet you've never had that experience, right? Okay, so now we need to play everyone's favorite game show, which one is older, and you have to name the older one, okay? All right, no, Tammy, your staff, you can't play. You have access to the database and ACS and church life, so you can't play, all right? No fair, no cheating, all right? So who thinks that they know who is older and which... No, you're like good friends with them. Come on. No dicky boys. Dicky boys are immediately just disqualified from this as well, all right? Okay, we need someone who's not in youth and not related to them either, dang, okay? All right? Who wants to play? All right. Okay, Carolyn. Okay? Who is older? Jordan, well done. And for extra bonus points, although I have no prizes for you, bonus points, the name of the younger one. Do you need to phone a friend? You can phone a friend. Deb can help you. Deb's okay. That's right, exactly. All right, so Jordan is older and Jeremy is younger. You know how I remember this? Jordan, oh, older. So if I ever have to think, that's how I remember it, so... All right, so that's our first installment. Very good, Carolyn. Well done. Which one is older? Jordan is older. Okay, all right. Exhibit number two. It's a photograph that I took. Uh, we were over on the island this weekend with my parents, and I found something in my dad's closet, which I'm pretty sure he was trying to keep hidden. But So there's two pictures here, and I need you to guess which one is older. All right, this, one's, this one is for the kids, okay? Which one of these two is older? Okay. All right. Which one? No, you're related to your grand your grandpa. You can't guess. All right, Ben. The teddy bear is older. That's right. How do you know? What's your clue? Yeah, it's worn out. That's right. Yeah. That bird also never buy that for anyone. And we left it at my parents' place because it's like one of those ones you push and makes noise and it sings and does the macarena. We do not want that in our house. We left it at Grandma Grandpa's. So that's staying there. All right. That's exhibit two. All right. Another thing I found lying around my parents' house. We have to guess now which one is older. It's getting a little more difficult now, just so you know. All right. So which one of these two things is older? All right. 
Which one is older? The top one. What do you think? It's the top one is actually the booster seat that my parents used in their car when I was growing up. So, and then it's now being used at their house for for kids. But it's it's old. Like, and I don't even know how any of us survived, frankly, any of these things. Now we have so many safety things. But anyways, yes, that's that's definitely older. The materials it was made out of. My dad made it out of wood and stuck me in the back seat. So, all right. The next one. The next one, uh, uh, I have another uh, test for you. This is a live test. We've been using a couple of our senses, so um, I need you to come and tell me which pair of my sandals is older. You might need to use your nose for this one, so that might disqualify you. Come and check it out. Any volunteers? People are like, that's gross. I don't want to touch yours. Or you can just try and look at them and see which one. Yeah? Okay. All right. Come on up. Which pair of sandals is older? Taste them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You can touch them if you want. If you're... I don't think I have any communicable diseases on my feet anyway, so... Okay. These. How do you know? How do you know? Absolutely. They're totally beat up. Look at this. This is like your your surefire clue. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. That's good. Yep. Good work. Well done. Well done, Micah. Okay. We have another test. Another test. This is a taste test. There's nothing poisonous in here, I promise you. Okay. This is cheese. All right. Which cheese is older? There's three samples in here. Who like... I'm... None of this is poisoned. I'm serious. Josh, okay, you're going to come and check it out? Okay. There are, there are three different cheeses or pieces of cheese in here. Tell me which one is older, okay? There's no mold on any of these. Fresh out of the fridge this morning. Well, it is technically mold. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's sample one. That's the most, for you, those who can't see, that's the orangest of the cheeses. Okay? Okay? All right, so what about this one now? Now, this is sample number two. (laughs) Okay? What else? Sample number three. Which cheese is older, do you think? true it's designed the music is designed to throw you off your game this one okay this is uh this is a cheddar cheese this is actually an almond cheese and this i don't know we buy it at costco in packages so i have no idea you know what the truth is i actually have no idea which one of these is older (laughs) and that's because they're all like dated to when they expire, not dated to when they were produced. So technically, this is old cheddar cheese, but it kind of doesn't really matter because it's oldest in terms of age versus oldest in terms of actual like maturity. So I think let's say you were right on that one and give you a round of applause. How's that? All right. It's kind of an unfair question. A bit of a okay. All right. Now I have one for one for the adults. You don't have to touch anything gross or eat anything. This is just, uh, this will test your, your trivia knowledge, okay? 
Which one is older? Which one is older? Mash. There's how many for mash? What is the other one? Polka dot door. The polka dot door. The polka dot door. See you soon. Right, right. You know that. Okay. Who's for the polka dot door? Who's for mash? Okay. Polka dot door is older. It debuted in 1971. Mash debuted in 1972. So this is testing your 70s trivia. I picked it nice and close just to make it really hard for you. All right. So, <laughs> uh, it's true. Oh, well, there you go. All right. So there we are. That was our installment, morning installment of Which One is Older? So thank you to all of our contestants who played. And the point that I wanted to make with that is that sometimes things are really clear. So when you look at these sandals versus these sandals, which I bought a couple of weeks ago, versus these sandals, you look at it and right away... Mike was like, oh, yeah, no, those ones, they're definitely older. Sometimes things are really clear, and you can tell. Sometimes, like with cheese or with things that are really close, sometimes, and, and I would say often in our lives, things aren't as clear to us. They're a little confusing sometimes. Sometimes it's fairly easy to look at a situation and assess it and have a very clear picture of what we should do, where we should go, how God wants us to think and act about something, God's given you a brain. He wants you to use it. But sometimes, and maybe often in our lives, things are not quite as they seem, and so it can be confusing. And here's where the really good news kicks in, that God wants you to ask him for direction. God invites you and I to talk with him. I love the way that James chapter 1 verse 5 puts this invitation. I almost think it's worth putting on the back of a jersey as a reminder. The scripture says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. God will not rebuke you for asking. See, so often we get caught up in looking at things from a certain point of view often just a natural or human point of view, and we can get drawn in and sometimes we can get deceived because we fail to consult God about something. We think, oh, that commercial for that religion looks nice. They seem like they're all about families and warm and fuzzy stuff. That must be fine. Over there, that school must be full of nothing but uh, perfect people for my kids to hang out with because it has the name Christian on the building, so I'm sure that would be fine. Or, oh, a church must be just the perfect place uh, for me because I'm sure that nobody that's a hypocrite goes there. The world that we live in is a complex place. And so God knows this and he invites us into the process of seeking him for direction. If we need wisdom to make good decisions, God wants to give us his perspective on things. We have to listen for it. And that's the hard part for me. For me, this happens primarily in slowing down and orienting my life around scripture, intake, and prayer. If I'm going through my day and I'm, I'm bumping up against a situation, maybe it's a counseling situation or something's happening that I'm not sure how to handle, you know, I can smell the sandals, I can examine the bread, but I might not get the full picture. 
And so sometimes to slow down and ask, God, what is it that you are seeing here in this situation? What is it that you want me to say or do? What's really going on here below the surface? If I'm thinking about a major decision for our family or for the church, I I can push ahead, and I'm very guilty personality-wise of this, push ahead with what I think is best and often discovered later that I didn't have all the facts or that I regretted not taking the time to ask God for wisdom and guidance from his word. Many times you and I end up living with the consequences of bad decisions that were made simply because we failed to ask God for wisdom. We failed to listen up. And that's exactly how the rest of this chapter plays itself out. Because it turns out that three days later, lo and behold, these people actually did live right nearby Israel. But now the leaders of Israel have made a binding treaty, and peace treaty, with the people of Gibeon. And Josh has painted just one of the Gibeonites for us here so that you get a picture of how they were looking all shabby and their clothes were all matted and they'd grown out their beards just so they could try and convince the children of Israel of this. And the people of Israel failed to consult the Lord. Now they have to live with the consequences of this failure. And we'll see next weekend that it's not just the people of Israel that have to live with it, but generations upon generations have to live with the failure of these people to stick by and ask the Lord. And so, in a lot of ways, this story really isn't about the Gibeonites and their lying and their deception. Obviously, the scripture is not condoning or applauding that because we see in next week in part two in the story of Gibeon, deception may play itself out temporarily, but not never ultimately does it pay. The point of Joshua chapter nine is that the Israelites, most specifically their leaders, are impulsive. They're quick to make a decision. And they're easily fooled by the sandals, by the bread, by the way things appear. And so they make a decision in a way that doesn't please the Lord because they fail to ask God. And some of us are living with the consequences of those things in our lives, done quickly, that uh, maybe we didn't ask God about. The relationship that we got into that was characterized by deception. But we overlooked it at the start and thought it would be Uh, just a minor thing, but it became something more toxic. The business partner that, like the people of Gideon, did whatever was necessary to get ahead, and their dishonesty came to light, and both you and they had to suffer the consequences. I can remember when we were building our house in Willoughby, we had a meeting with our builder and then with the builder's business partner. And uh, when we met with them, and then we finished that meeting, Meg said, that business partner, something is not right that it just there's there's something shady about that guy, and I said, no, no, probably he was just having an off day. You know, don't don't worry about it. You know, he's he he's a former police officer. I'm sure he's probably just don't worry about it. He yeah, I'm sure he's honest. Well, it turned out that this guy was a real con artist, and on another project that our builder was involved in, he took him for a real ride, and our builder lost tons of money in that. And. I didn't pay any attention to it at all. But Meg was listening carefully and was very sensitive to that. You and I would do well to listen, not only to God, but also to the people around us who are carefully listening to him and who are using their gifts of discernment and wisdom that he's given to them. And this is one of the questions that I think comes out of Joshua chapter 9 for us when we think about decision-making. There's two questions that I want to ask 
as we move into our response time about decisions that are application points from Joshua chapter 9. One of them has to do with speed and pace, and the other one has to do with depth and perception. So the first question for us to think about our decisions is, are there any areas of my life when I make decisions where I'm acting impulsively and quickly versus slowing down and listening to what God and others might be saying? This is one of the gifts of community that God has given to you if you're here at Jericho. A sense of collective wisdom and discernment that are people that are more than willing to seek God together and what's on God's heart for the challenges of your life. We have people come to pre-gathering prayer every weekend that say, I don't know what to do about this situation in my life, but would you pray for me and let's ask God together if God has something that he wants to say. That's why we have a prayer team that's available to you each and every weekend here on Sunday mornings. They would love to ask God for discernment for you, for wisdom, anything that's going on in your life. Because the other part of this puzzle is that when I talk to people about listening to God, the objection that I get is to say, well, you know, how do I even know what I should ask God about? I mean, can I just make decisions on my own? Can I just, do I need to ask God when I get up in the morning what socks God wants me to wear today? God does not want you to wear white socks with sandals, just so you're aware. <laughs> um, you know, how do you, need, how do you know what God is saying to you what do you what should you ask god about well the way that i think about this is that uh, early in our marriage relationship when meg and i uh, were newlyweds when it came to finances because we were poor students and we didn't have a lot of them we had a very fixed rule as to a, a dollar amount that we wouldn't spend above without consulting with the other person But as our relationship has matured over time, hopefully it's matured over time, 14 and a half years of marriage, we just kind of know what the other person is thinking. So we don't operate on a fixed dollar rule anymore because our relationship has some depth to it that we we have a sense, a stronger sense of how the other person is thinking and feeling about our relationship and about what we want to be doing and investing in in terms of our priorities. We just kind of know what that person would think about the spending decision. And so I think in some ways, this is the same thing that we would hope and pray for you as elders in a pastoral team in your relationship with God. A, a, a deeper relationship that leads you to those places where you know the things that are on God's heart and what you need to ask him about and what you want to process together with community where God is speaking to you actively and vibrantly about all aspects of your life. But in order to do this, you have to have a pace of life that actually honors that. And so the question that someone challenged me with a number of years ago that always comes to my mind when I think about this is, does my life look like that of a person who wants to hear from God? Or am I acting impulsively and quickly and just making decisions all the time without consulting God? Does my life look like that of a person who wants to hear from God. So the second question to ask, which Joshua and the leaders failed to ask, was, God, is there any way in which not I'm only moving quickly, and so I can't hear from you, but are there any places in my life or in our world where I'm seeing things superficially as opposed to supernaturally? And this is part of our mission here at Jericho Ridge, 
to help you grow in your discernment, to see things through God's eyes. It says, our mission statement starts off and says, we aspire to be a loving and a listening community. And when we say a listening community, what we mean is not only listening horizontally to those in our neighborhoods, to those in our workplaces, and to each other, but we also listen vertically. We listen up in the upwards direction to hear from God, to hear what he's saying to each and every one of us. And we believe deeply that each of us, no matter what our age category, no matter what our histories are, can hear God speak to you. No matter how young you are, you can learn to hear from God. This is our goal, in fact, at Jericho, to help each of you become listeners. That's why we invite and challenge people to get into God's Word with our Project 345 bookmarks and a reading plan on Vision. Three minutes, 45 seconds of reading, five times a week can help turn you into a listener because you're reorienting your heart to hear what it is that God's saying to you in his word. Kids, when you spend time in Kids at the Ridge this fall, our goal and desire is for you to learn who God is so that you develop that relationship with him so that your ears are open to hear what God is saying to you. That's why we need teachers at Kids at the Ridge who listen to the Lord and who then can share what God's saying to them in the lives of kids and youth. So we're going to move into a time of listening in communion. And I want you to think of a decision that you're processing in your life right now or that's coming up. And I want you to ask yourself these questions and kind of push it through this filter and say, what's the speed of my life right now? Coming into the fall, it feels busy. It feels like things are ramping up, all of these things. What's the speed of your life? Would it in any way inhibit you from slowing down and listening to what it is that God might want to say to you? We're going to create some time for you to do that here this morning. And then the second part of it is that depth of vertical relationship. Does your life resemble that of a person who would want to hear from God? We're going to pray together and we're going to move into communion. God, we are grateful that you are a God who speaks to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to open our ears and our hearts to listen to you in these moments as we respond in song and respond to your word. We want to be people who make decisions with wisdom because we have heard from you, who orient and organize our life wisely because it's characterized by wisdom from above, as James chapter 1 says and reminds us. And so, Father, would you speak to us, word of God, speak to us refresh our hearts, reorient our hearts, anything that is uh, hidden that needs to be uncovered, uh, we want you to expose it, Holy Spirit. We ask you to help us be people of wisdom who make decisions wisely. Amen. You know, at the end of the day, the people of Gibeon received something which they did not deserve from the children of Israel. They received mercy. And so as we move into this time of communion response, I'm reminded that just like the people of Gibeon, each one of us in some ways is an outsider. We've received something which we don't deserve. We've received mercy and grace. We've been grafted in where we don't belong. And it's here at the cross where we celebrate that and where we remind ourselves that we don't need to weasel into our relationship with God. He's invited us to come just as we are. 
And we come to this table and we come to this time and say, God, this is me. This is my life. This is who I am. I want to be increasingly shaped by your word. And I want to be increasingly devoted to being a listener to who you are. And by God's mercy that was most clearly shown to us at the cross, we remember that act and we partake in this. And Jesus says, I'm inviting you into a covenant with me. It's a covenant relationship, not based on who you are and what you've done, but who I am and what I have done. And so if you're a person who has committed your life uh, to Jesus and his lordship and his leadership, and you're saying, I follow him as the center of my life, then we invite you to come to the table and participate in this. And if that's not you yet, we just invite you to observe and uh, just sing the songs of response and reflection. Um, And God has invited us to remember him through very earthy stuff, bread which reminds us of the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the fruit of the vine, which uh, we use grape juice, and the kids are here today. And so parents, if you are um, in a place where you want to lead your child or your children in that, we would invite you to be the one that exercises discernment and wisdom around that. We don't police uh, the communion table here. And we would just invite you to come and open your ears and open your heart to see what it is that God would be saying to you. As we come into this time, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And the prayer teams are going to be uh, available. We'll have Dave and Aaron available over on the far side here. And Meg and I will be over available on this side. And so just as you are in the line for communion, we'll be on the outsides if you want to come. And if you'd like to uh, pray with us in any way, if there's any way that we can assist you in that, if you're making a decision, you want God's wisdom and input, we would love to listen together uh, in that. So if you sensed God has been inviting you uh, to move in that, then I want you to be obedient and listen up as we worship together and as Michael and the team lead us.